Hey, good morning. Um, welcome to New City if you're visiting with us. just um, We are going through the last section in the book of Genesis. We normally go through books of the Bible together. Uh, Genesis we took in chunks, and we're in the last section, and that's the life of Joseph. So this morning, if you have your Bible and want to uh, join me there, Genesis chapter 43 is where we're going to be. Um, just to get everybody caught up on where we are, last week we saw that um, Jacob and his family had been impacted by the famine. Uh, Joseph um, had prepared Egypt for the famine. Joseph was one of Jacob's sons, uh, but his brothers had sold him into slavery, uh, and he ended up in Egypt. And he has risen to a place of prominence in Egypt, and he had prepared Egypt uh, through seven years of plenty for seven years of drought. So Jacob and his family don't live in, uh, in Egypt, but because of the famine, they've come to Egypt for food. So Jacob sent 10 of uh, his 11 sons who remained at home, 10 of the sons went to Egypt for food. Um, we talked last week in chapter 42 just about uh, really the, the, the picture of humanity that we see in that chapter um, as Jacob's brothers come, uh, or Joseph's brothers come, Joseph recognizing his brothers, his brothers not recognizing him. Um, but the, the picture of humanity in the flood of emotions uh, that came over Joseph and the conflict of those emotions, the pain, the uncertainty, um, and yet with, with the hurt and the, the, um, the fears of Joseph as his brothers have come, um, also the love that Joseph still had for his brothers. So Joseph recognized them and his past came rushing back to him, something that he thought that he had put behind him. Um, his brothers didn't recognize him, but because of the way that um, Joseph treated his brothers, including three days in jail, uh, they too were flooded with emotions from their past as they remembered what they had done to Joseph. Uh, so the story last week left off with Simeon, one of Joseph's brothers, being left in jail while the other brothers went back to Jacob taking grain with them. Uh, they were told that they could only come back and buy more food in Egypt if all of the brothers came. Um, Joseph's younger brother had remained with Jacob, his father, uh, and so Joseph was trying to get all of the brothers to come. Jacob was very distraught over the news that uh, the sons had brought back to him, that the only way they could buy more grain was if Benjamin went with them and all of the brothers were there. He was very protective of his now favorite son, Benjamin, and did not want Benjamin going with his brothers. He felt like Jacob did. He had already lost Joseph, his son. Now he was probably losing Simeon, who was in jail. And if Benjamin went back, he would lose Benjamin as well. So that's where we pick up this morning. The famine continues. Um, Jacob's family's food is once again running out, um, and they have to return to Egypt in order to survive. Joseph has another test for his brothers, and we'll see that test this morning. We'll also see how they respond. And I think in their responses, we get a glimpse, uh, really, of what God's people should, should look like. Um, Jacob's family was becoming the people of God. So let's, let's jump in. Chapter 43, beginning in verse 1, we'll read this in sections and talk about what we see. And particularly, we'll talk about the changes that we see uh, in Jacob and his family. Chapter 43, verse 1. Now the famine was severe in the land, and when they had eaten the grain that they had brought from Egypt, their father said to them, Go again, buy us a little food. But Judah said to him, The man solemnly warned us, saying, You shall not see my face unless your brother is with you. If you will send our brother with us, we will go down and buy food. But if you will not send him, we will not go down. For the man said to us, You shall not see my face unless your brother is with you. Israel said, Why did you treat me so badly as to tell the man that you had another brother? 
They replied, the man questioned us carefully about ourselves and our kindred, saying, is your father still alive? Do you have another brother? What we told him was in answer to these questions. Could we in any way know that he would say, bring your brother down? So let's stop right there. This is sort of scene one in this chapter, um, and it is uh, the, the family preparing to return to Egypt or at least the brothers preparing to return to Egypt. We don't know how much time has passed um, since they uh, returned to home and Jacob with the grain that they bought in Egypt, uh, but the famine is described as severe. It sounds like things have gotten worse, and once again, starvation seems to be uh, the future for Jacob's family. So Jacob tells his sons, uh, you need to go back to Egypt and buy more grain for us. And they could do that, right? As I said, that's what Egypt was doing. They had stored up grain during the seven years of plenty so that they would have it for themselves and be able to sell during the, during the famine. So they could go back to Egypt and purchase from Egypt. But as we read, Joseph was holding Simeon, uh, his brother, and their brother, um, having accused them of being spies. That's what we saw last week. Joseph was accusing them of being spies. And what he said is, um, I will know that you are telling me the truth about who you are and about your family if you return with all of your brothers. If you don't, then Simeon will stay in jail. And if you don't bring your brother with you, then I will treat all of you as you are lying spies. So Judah uh, speaks up quickly to remind his father Jacob of what had taken place and what was said. Jacob was still worried about Benjamin, and he blames his sons. He says, how could you think so little of me and and tell the man, tell Joseph, who was in charge, that you have a younger brother? Well, with that, all of the brothers speak up. Judah had spoken up at first. Now all of the brothers speak up, and they say, you know, how are we supposed to know that that's what uh, he he was going to do? We were just trying to buy grain and answer his questions so that we wouldn't starve to death and could could bring grain uh, back home. And then in verse 8, we begin to see the changes in Joseph's family, right? The first thing we see is Judah taking responsibility for his brother. Judah takes responsibility for his brother Benjamin. Verse 8, Judah said to Israel, his father, send the boy with me and we will arise and go that we may live and not die, both we and you and also our little ones. I will be a pledge of his safety. From my hand, you shall require him. If I do not bring him back to you and set him before you, then let me bear the blame forever. If we had not delayed, we would now have returned twice." So what, what Judah is doing, he's taking responsibility for his baby brother, Benjamin. I will be my brother's keeper. That's what he's saying. I will pledge. I'll be the pledge for his safety. He will be my responsibility, and if I don't bring him back to you and deliver him to you, I will bear that responsibility. I will be the one to blame forever. Now, remember back in chapter 37 when we started, Joseph had this dream that his brothers would bow to him, and his brothers already didn't like Joseph because he was the favored son, and he was treated differently than them, and he received blessings from his father that they did not. And at first, they were going to kill Joseph and and lie to their father, but then it was Judah who spoke up and said, hey... Let's don't kill him. Let's sell him into slavery. We'll be rid of him forever, and we'll have some money as well. It was Judah who did not take responsibility for watching after one of his younger brothers. No responsibility for Joseph at all. So so what we see here is now he is taking responsibility that he did not do for Joseph. He's taking responsibility for Benjamin. Benjamin, who is now the favorite son. Benjamin, who receives the blessings that the other brothers don't receive. Benjamin, who remained with Jacob while Jacob was sending his other sons to buy grain. So Judah has changed. He's taking responsibility for his brother. Um, There's more change in this first scene. Verse 11. 
Then their father Israel said to them, If it must be so, then do this. Take some of the choice fruits of the land in your bags and carry a present down to the man, a little balm and a little honey, gum, myrrh, pistachio nuts, and almonds. Take double the money with you. Carry back with you the money that was returned in the mouth of your sacks. Perhaps it was an oversight. Take also your brother and arise. Go again to the man. May God Almighty grant you mercy before the man, and may he send back your other brother and Benjamin. And as for me, if I am bereaved of my children, I am bereaved. Now, Jacob reluctantly trusts God. I think that's what we see here. Jacob reluctantly trusts God. Uh, There is definitely reluctance here. But after giving his sons instructions on what to take with them, the fruit and nuts as, as, a, as a gift, as a present, take money, take double the money, the money that was put back in your, in your bags last time, take that and more, and take Benjamin with you. He agrees that Benjamin is to go with them, and then he says a prayer. May God Almighty give you mercy before the man, and may he deliver with you Simeon, and Benjamin. And if I am bereaved of my children, if I lose my children, then I lose my children. Now, I don't think this is a fatalistic prayer from Jacob. I think that Jacob is at the end of Jacob. I I, I think that he has been stripped of all control. Hear me, sometimes God does that in our life. Sometimes God has to strip all control from us in order for us to lean on him. And I think that's what Jacob was, was doing here. I think Jacob was at the point where he had lost all control, and the only thing left for him to do was to trust God. If I am bereaved of my children, then I am bereaved. This reminded me of Esther 4. Um, there had been some hesitation from Esther about going into the king uh, to share some information and ask something from the king. The reason that Esther didn't want to do this or she had fear of doing this is because if you entered into the king's presence uninvited, then you could be, you could be killed for, for doing that. But, but she came to a place ultimately where she said, I will go to the king on behalf of my people, and if I die... I die. If I die, I die. I don't know what the outcome is going to be. That's what Esther was saying. I don't know what the the outcome is going to be, but I am going to try, and I will leave it in God's hands. And I think that's where Jacob was. If I am bereaved of my sons, then I am bereaved of my sons. I am leaving it in the hands of God, and I will, even though it is reluctant, I will reluctantly trust in him. So, um, Judah takes responsibility for his brother. That's a change that we see in Judah. Um, Jacob is reluctantly trusting God. That, that's a change that we see in him. He, he has held on to Benjamin and not letting Benjamin go. In fact, he's held on to the point where they are nearing starvation and out of food yet again because he didn't want Benjamin to go back with them. So let's keep reading. Now we come to the second scene, and this is back in Egypt. Verse 15. So the men took this present, and they took double the money with them and Benjamin. They arose and went down to Egypt and stood before Joseph. When Joseph saw Benjamin with them, he said to the steward of his house, Bring the men into the house and slaughter an animal and make ready, for the men are to dine with me at noon. The man did as Joseph told him and brought the men to Joseph's house. And the men were afraid because they were brought to Joseph's house. And they said, it is because of the money. It is because of the money which was replaced in our sacks the first time that we are brought in. So that he may assault us and fall upon us to make us servants and seize our donkeys. So they went up to the steward of Joseph's house and spoke with him at the door of the house and said, O my Lord, we came down the first time to buy food. And when we came to the lodging place, we opened our sacks and there was each man's money in the mouth of his sack, our money in full weight. So we have brought it again with us and we have brought other money down with us to buy food. We do not know who put the money back in our sacks. He replied, peace to you. 
Do not be afraid. Your God and the God of your father has put treasure in your sacks for you. I received your money. Then he brought Simeon out to them. And when the man had brought the men into Joseph's house and given them water, and they had washed their feet, and when they had given their donkeys fodder, they prepared the present for Joseph's coming at noon, for they heard that they should eat bread there. So, back in Egypt, we'll stop there. Back in Egypt, we learn more about Joseph's brothers and more about, really, what is expected of God's people. It seems that Joseph sees his brothers as they are coming, and he sees that Benjamin is with them. So, he sees Benjamin, and he tells his steward, the steward of his house, to invite them to lunch and prepare a banquet for them. So the brothers, the steward does that, goes out, tells them to come to the house. Um, the brothers are very nervous. They're very suspicious about that. They assumed that Joseph knew about the money in their sacks, was going to accuse them of stealing and make them his slaves. This fear, this fear that they were found out sped up what they were already prepared to do. But I want, I want to make sure you understand, they were already prepared to do this. They were already prepared to come clean about the money that they found in their bags. And so what happens when the steward comes to them in their fear, they speed up what they were going to do and Joseph's brothers confess. Joseph's brothers confess. Now listen, they, they could have just remained silent. They could have said absolutely nothing about the money. They could have denied finding the money. They could have denied that there was any money in their bag at all. They could have lied once again. That's, that's where I'm going. They could have lied once again. Lied like they did about Joseph when they told their father that Joseph had been killed by a wild animal. They could have lied. They could have remained silent, but they didn't. There, there was no hiding for them. They confessed. They confessed that the money was found in their bags. So um, they confessed, but, but, but more than confessing, they were prepared to make things right. Joseph's brothers were ready to make restitution. When God gave the law, like more than 400 years after this, I think it's, um, it's really amazing the, the, the things that we see that will appear in the law, we see in the life of Joseph. When God would give the law to his people hundreds of years after this happened, restitution would be a big part of the law. Restitution, meaning if you cause loss to someone, then it is up to you to make right the loss that you cause to them. And Joseph's brothers were prepared to make restitution, right? They not only brought the money that they found in their bag, they brought more money so that they could buy food on top of that, but they also came with gifts, gifts for, for Joseph, the, the, the gifts from their land. They were prepared to make restitution. So we, we keep reading, verse 26. When Joseph came home, uh, they brought into the house to him the present that they had with them and bowed down to him to the ground. And he inquired about their welfare and said, Is your father well, the old man of whom you spoke? Is he still alive? They said, Your servant, our father, is well. He is still alive. And they bowed their heads and prostrated themselves. And he lifted up his eyes and saw his brother Benjamin, his mother's son, and said, Is this your youngest brother of whom you spoke to me? God be gracious to you, son. Then Joseph hurried out, for his compassion grew warm for his brother, and he sought a place to weep. And he entered his chamber and wept there. Then he washed his face and came out. And controlling himself, he said, serve the food. They served him by himself and them by themselves and the Egyptians who ate with him by themselves because the Egyptians could not eat with the Hebrews, for that is an abomination to the Egyptians." And they sat before him, the firstborn according to his birthright, and the youngest according to his birth or his youth. And the men looked at one another in amazement. Portions were taken to them from Joseph's table, but Benjamin's portion was five times as much as any of theirs. And they drank and were merry with him. So the, the, the focus shifts here to Joseph, right? And, and Joseph prepares a feast. 
That's what this was. This was a feast. It was a banquet that Joseph was preparing for his brothers. Now, there is still some tension here, and I want to make sure that we see and feel the tension that exists even in this feast that was being prepared. On the one hand, Joseph is lavishing his brothers with grace. This is an act of grace. Joseph is graciously pouring out this this incredible meal on his brothers. There is grace in that. Like, like I I don't know, just again, this is 20 plus years that, that, that he suffered. He went to jail. He was a slave. He was sold into slavery. All of that by his brothers. And and he could have locked them up. He could have demanded their life, right? Bitterness, anger, all of that might lead us, vengeance, to do all of those things. And yet, here is Joseph throwing a banquet for them, a celebration feast for them. Joseph told his steward, slaughter an animal and, and make ready. This reminded me, just those words reminded me of the story of the prodigal in Luke chapter 15. Um, the, the, the younger son has left the father and the father has missed him and worried about him. The son is coming home and, and, and when the father sees the son who left him returning home, he, he tells his servants something similar. Luke 15 verse 23, bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate for this this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. This is a feast. What, what Joseph is putting before his brothers is, is a feast. Joseph has been reunited with Benjamin, his full brother, the, the only other child of Rachel and Jacob. Um, he, he has been reunited with all of his other brothers, and, and he sees that there is change in them. He sees that they are bothered by what they did to him. And and so we have this feast, we have this celebration, but there is tension, right? On the one hand, there is great celebration, but on the other hand, Joseph is still not 100% sure that they have changed completely. And so he tests his brothers. Right? He tests his brothers like he tested them when he threw them in jail. He is testing them again at the feast. Joseph has his brothers seated and they are lined up at the table seated by age. The brothers are stumped by this. How would he know their age? How, how, they were amazed when they looked at the order and it was from oldest to youngest. But then, Then Joseph, as all of the brothers were being served at the table, Joseph had Benjamin served five times more than any of his brothers. Do you get the picture? He has set his brothers up for just this moment so that he could see how they would respond, how they would react. There could be no question because they were lined up in birth order that, that, that Joseph would know who was the oldest and who was the youngest. And culture tells you that the one who receives the blessing is not the youngest but the oldest. Joseph has done this very intentionally. Remember, Joseph was the younger of all of his other brothers besides Benjamin. He was the youngest, and he was his father's favorite. And his father poured all of these blessings out on Joseph that the other brothers didn't receive. This is what made them angry. This is what made them bitter. This is what turned them against Joseph. Ultimately, this is why he was sold into slavery. And here Joseph is doing this again. Benjamin has become the favorite son. Benjamin has received all of the father's blessings. Benjamin has received now the gifts from his father. And now as they sit before Joseph, second in command of all of Egypt, it's happening again. And the younger is receiving favoritism. And the younger is receiving a blessing that all of the other brothers are missing out on. So how would they respond? This was Joseph's test. Would they be bothered? Would he see it in their countenance? Would he see it on their faces? Would they be, would they be angry? Would he, see, would he see bitterness in them because of the way that Benjamin was being treated? That's the tension even in this feast, a a, a genuine feast. 
but there was more to it than just a reunion. Look at, again, verse 34. Portions were taken to them from Joseph's table, but Benjamin's portion was five times as much as any of theirs. And they drank and were merry with him. And they drank and were merry with him. What would their response be to the favoritism showed to Benjamin? They drank and were merry with him. Joseph and his, and his brothers were filled with joy. They were filled with joy. This is an absolute change to anything that, that Joseph had seen of his brothers. That They were joyfully content with each other and where they were. They, they were fine. They were fine with the fact that Benjamin was receiving more than they were at the table. E even though it was reverse of how it should be, they were fine with that. And they enjoyed one another. They enjoyed where they were. They, they, they weren't focused on what they didn't have. Do you hear me? Because that's where we are a lot of times. Focusing on what we don't have. They were enjoying everything that was set before them. They were enjoying one another. They were enjoying Joseph. They were enjoying everything that he set on their table. They were merry. They were merry together, joyful together and joyful with Joseph. And Joseph was merry with his brothers. He was happy. He enjoyed the presence of his brothers. Even Joseph, right in this moment when he sees how they respond, he, he isn't set on the past either. He isn't remembering in that moment all of the years of suffering that he had. He's not dwelling on what they did to him. He was there in the present, enjoying his brothers and enjoying this incredible feast with them. The brothers had passed the test. The brothers had passed the test. Though they had received five times less than Benjamin, that they, they enjoyed all that they had. There was no jealousy, no anger, no bitterness, no entitlement. It seems just gratitude. Gratitude. They enjoyed the meal set before them. They, 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 they drank with one another and with Joseph, and they were filled with joy. That's chapter 43. That's this part of Joseph's story. It's a picture of a lot of change that has taken place in Jacob and in all of his sons. Judah is taking responsibility for his brother Benjamin, where he would not take responsibility in the past for his younger brother Jacob. Jacob is trusting God with all of his sons where for so long he has held on to Benjamin to the point where, to the point where he, he and his family were starving because they were out of grain. The brothers confess the appearance of, of wrongdoing when it comes to the money. The brothers do what is necessary to, to, to make right, to make things right with Joseph and with Egypt over the money. Joseph prepares a feast, a feast for his brothers. Not jail, a feast. He prepares a feast for his brothers. Joseph and his brothers are, are filled with joy as they celebrate together. The picture that we have is God bringing the family back together. God is bringing the family back together. We also see that God is bringing about Joseph's dream, the, the dream that Joseph had back in 37, chapter 37, where, where he dreamed that his father and all of his brothers would bow down before him. This is one step closer. Now all of the brothers are there, and all of the brothers have come. And twice we read in this chapter that the brothers have come before him and bowed down to Joseph. The only one missing now is his father. And we see incredible heart change that has taken place in Jacob's family and in Jacob. That's chapter 43. So let's step back a little bit further, maybe the 30,000 uh, foot view of this chapter. And as I've talked about before, like this was written to God's people for the good of God's people. So let's talk about this story and God's people. And when I'm referring to God's people initially, this was written um, 
for the benefit uh, of the, the, the generations who came after Jacob and after Joseph who had been slaves in the land of Egypt for some 400 years. This was written for them as they left their bondage in Egypt and headed to the land that was promised to them, to Abraham, right? Their, their father, Abraham. This was written to them for their encouragement and for their instruction. Now, I have enjoyed, um, I've brought this name up before. I'm sharing it with you again. So if you think, wow, there was some great stuff there. I didn't come up with some of this stuff. Alan Ross, um, one of his commentaries, for those of you who like to read, great take on the whole book of Genesis, and I have really enjoyed it. Here's what Ross writes. Um, The strengths that the brothers manifested in this chapter were also necessary for the nation if they were to be God's servants through whom the blessing would be continued. Right, so what Ross is saying is that if the, if the nation of Israel, God's people, when they went into the promised land, if they were going to be a blessing to the nations, to all the other nations, as was promised through Abraham, if that promise was going to be passed on to them and through him, then they needed to learn to live as the people of God. And this, this is a picture of what it means to live as the people of God. They needed to learn how to live as God's family. So, as Judah took responsibility for his brother Benjamin, Israel would need to be a family who also cared for one another. Right? That's the connection that should have been made. Early in the book of Genesis, after the fall of Adam and Eve, in chapter 4, Adam and Eve had sons. Cain killed his brother, Abel. When the Lord came to Cain, he asked him, where is your brother Abel? Cain answered him, I do not know. And then what did he say after that? Am I my brother's keeper? Am I my brother's keeper? The answer is yes. Yes, in the family of God, I am my brother's keeper. Judah should have been Joseph's keeper, but he wasn't. And and in God's family, we should care for one another. Israel would be God's people, a special people, a family, the very family of God himself. And in God's family, they would need to care for one another. They would need to be brothers and sisters who, yes, were their brothers and sisters keeper. They would need to look out for one another, to stand up for one another. And the same is true for us today. This is the same message for us today, the church. The marks that we are talking about here should be marks of us as a family as well. We are a family. We are, by by the goodness of God, by his grace, through Christ, we are a family. We are brothers and sisters who share one Father, God Almighty, and we are his family. And the New Testament particularly, over and over again, calls us to a lot of one another's. We are to live out these one another's together, right? To love one another, to care for one another. Now, I, I, this is, we can't do that on Sunday morning in this environment, okay? I mean, I love you guys. I care for you guys. But, but this is too much, This is not where we live out the one another's. We live out the one another's at New City and missional communities. So what I am am hopefully pressing you to do, if you're not involved in a missional community, you need to be involved in a missional community. And in that missional community, we, we, we care for one another. In that missional community, we should be our brother's keeper. Our brothers should be looking out for us. Listen to me because that's where a lot of us stop. Don't stop there. Our brothers should not just be keeping us, but we should be keeping our brother. Amen? Because that's what we do in family. We care for one another. The one another's of Scripture, right? Love one another, care for one another, encourage one another, teach one another, admonish one another, on and on and on with the one another's. Jesus said, 
Jesus said to his disciples uh, near the end of his ministry and leaving them, he said, this is how they will know you are mine. This is how the world will know that you are my people. This is how the world will know that you are children of God if you have what for one another? Love. If you have love for one another. We are our brother's keeper. This is what it means to be the people of God. To take responsibility for one another just, just, just as we see here. Just as we should see and should have seen in all of Israel's history. Judah, Judah responsible, should have been responsible for Joseph. Judah now taking responsibility for Benjamin. Here's another one. As Jacob trusted God with his sons, the nation of Israel would need to do the same. Jacob trusted God. Yes, it was reluctant, but in the end, he trusted God with his sons. The nation of Israel would need to do the same. They would be pressed to trust God in the wilderness. We've talked about this week after week, going through Joseph's story. They would be pressed to trust him as they, as they prepared to enter the promised land. They would need to trust him when their enemies stood against them and their enemies seemed larger and stronger and more numerous. They would need to trust in the promises of God, in the protection of God, in the truth that God has said, I will deliver these enemies to your, to your hands, into your hands. I will give you their land. They needed to trust God. They needed to trust God when it was difficult and dark. Listen to me. We too are called to trust God. Right? Just, just as they were to be a people who trusted God, we need to be a people who trust God. We're being called to the same thing. Now listen, normally when we come to this part, each one of us makes this an individual thing. Like, oh, I need to trust God. Yes, you do need to trust God. You need to trust God and we need to trust God together. This is not just an individual thing. This is a call for us as the people of God to trust God, not just individually, but to trust God as God's people. We trust God together when the world around us is dark. We trust God together over nations and kings. And listen to me, the election is coming up. We trust God over Republicans and Democrats. Amen? We trust God as individuals. We trust God as families. We trust God and we press one another to trust God in all areas of life. We trust God, not just as individuals and as individual families, but we trust God and we press one another to trust God as the family of God, faithfully following him. The brothers confessed to Joseph's steward that somehow the money was found in their bags. Listen to me. Confessing, confessing should be a mark of God's people. They confessed that something had happened that should not have been. Israel was being called and would be called through the law and through the prophets to be a confessional people. Confessing to one another, confessing their personal shortcomings and failures uh, to one another, confessing those to the Lord, and even coming together and confessing the sins of God's people, the sins of, of corporate Israel, the, the sins of the nation, confessing those sins to God as well. And of course, I think you know where I'm going. That's what we should be as well. We should be a confessional people. The church is meant to be a confessional people. We should confess to one another when we have done wrong. We should confess to one another when things have not happened the way that they should happen. We confess to one another, we confess to God, and even together corporately, we confess when we have not been the people that God has called us to be. Congregational confession. 
Somehow we've come to believe that repentance is something that we do once. When we become a believer, we repent and believe, and then we're done with it. But that's not it. Repentance is a mark of our life as followers of Jesus because every day we fail again and again and again, and we misbelieve and we disbelieve and we forget, and this is our confession. We, we confess that to one another, we confess that to the Lord, and we turn from that and we believe him. We believe who he is, we believe his promises, we believe the beautiful news of the gospel again and again and again. Confession is a part of, of who we are as followers of Christ. The brothers didn't stop with confession. The brothers took it a step further. Um, they took it a step further and, and, and sought to right the wrongs. Restitution, as I mentioned earlier, would become a part of the law of God's people, right? In the Old Testament, the old law, um, that, that, that restitution was an important part of that law. We are to be a just people. Our God is a just God. We are to be a just people and a right people. And being just means when we have caused damage to, to others, then we seek to restore them and not just to restore them, but, but to make restitution for what has been lost because of our wrong. This is what Joseph, Joseph's brothers did. This is what the law calls us to do. This is what it means to be the people of God. We are a just people even today. Not just confessing wrongs in our life, but doing whatever it takes to make right the wrongs that have been committed. Now I'm going to put these last two together for the sake of time. And all God's people said Amen. Joseph threw a feast and God's people were merry. Joseph threw a feast and God's people were merry. I think this is another area where I see this happening in Joseph's life. And then you look at the law. God would, God would make feasts and celebrations a part of the law, right? Like, like they are so important that God said, hey, do this. Like here's a rule. You keep this feast, you keep this celebration. Feasts and celebrations are important to God and important to God's people. It, it became, through the law, a regular part of their lives. They celebrated together. T together they gathered and they remembered God's goodness to them. They remembered, right? The feasts were celebrations of how God had provided for them in the past, how God was providing for them right then, how God had taken care of them and the gracious gifts of God. All of that they were called to remember and to celebrate and to be filled with joy over as they remembered. They were to enjoy one another. They were to enjoy God's beautiful gifts to them. They were to enjoy God and all that he was for them. And so are we. We should be the most joyful people. Now listen, I'm putting myself at the top of this list. We stink at this. God is saying celebrate and enjoy one another, throw a feast and a party and we want to pick it. God is saying, enjoy your brothers and sisters and look at all the good things that I've given you and we want to post garbage on social media. What is wrong with us? We are meant to be a merry people. We are meant to be happy people. Again, I'm putting myself at the top of the list, y'all. God means for us to celebrate together. God means for us to enjoy one another. God means for us to enjoy together his amazing blessings in our life. We don't do this nearly enough. So let me take that just a step further, right, when it comes to the church. Because it's one thing for me to say, hey, we should do this, but I, I want you to see it in the Scripture. Think about all that I just talked about as I read these verses from Romans. Paul, the Apostle Paul, was writing to the Roman church, right? So he's writing to the church, telling them what life should be like as the church. Romans 12, beginning in verse 9, he says, love must be sincere, 
Hate what is evil. Cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another in love. Am I my brother's keeper? Yes. Why? Because I am devoted to you in love and you are devoted to me in love. Be devoted to one another in love. Honor one another above yourselves. Never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. Be what? Be joyful in hope. Be happy people. You should be happy people. You of all people have much to be hopeful about. Be joyful in hope. Be patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. Share with the Lord's people who are in need. Practice hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Be happy with the people around you who are happy. Listen, that's the picture of Joseph's brothers. Benjamin receives five times more than they do, and they're still happy. And they're merry with their brother. They're merry with their brother Benjamin. They're merry with Joseph. They were joyful people. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Mourn with those who mourn. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be proud, but be willing to associate with people of low position. Do not be conceited. Do not repay anyone evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everyone. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. And when I, when I thought about the story of Joseph and what we see taking place at this incredible feast, this banquet that he had with his brothers, those verses came to mind for me. For me. I can see Joseph doing all of those things with his brothers. But then I thought of Jesus. This is Jesus. This, what, what I just read, that, that's, that's Jesus. Jesus who loved his enemies, that's me and you. Jesus, who, who blessed his enemies, that's, that's me and you. This is Jesus. Even the things that I talked about with, with Joseph's brothers, it, it's all Jesus. It, it's Jesus who took responsibility for us. Is he his brother's keeper? Thank God he is. He took responsibility for his brothers and sisters because we could not care for ourselves, because we could not be responsible for ourselves, not just us. He took responsibility for all of our sins and all of our brokenness when he took it to the cross on our behalf. He is his brother's keeper. Jesus trusted God in everything perfectly, not reluctantly, perfectly, Jesus had nothing to confess, and I love this, but it is Jesus who makes everything right for those who confess. Amen? Jesus shared many meals and feasts with his disciples, even with unbelievers. He celebrated and he feasted with them. And when he returns, when he returns for his people and he has promised that he is coming back, when he returns, he will, he will have prepared for us the feast of all feasts, the wedding supper of the Lamb. That's what I think about when I, when I read this story, when I read this story of Joseph preparing this feast, that's what I thought about the feast that will be ours because of Jesus. Jesus, the better Joseph. Our, our test passed, not because of our goodness, not because of our righteousness, not because we acted better than Joseph's brothers, but because of God's grace in Jesus, because of his perfection. His righteousness granted as though it were ours. When I read this story of them being married together, I, I see Jesus welcoming us, welcoming us to the feast that he has prepared for us, welcoming us as brothers and sisters into his presence. A feast like we can't imagine. And we will be merry together, right? We will celebrate together and we will celebrate with him. 
And he will be filled with joy that we are there with him. This is what it looks like to be the people of God. Listen to me. This is what the church should look like. Not an institution, not an event that we attend on Sunday or maybe whatever day our missional community is on. This. Life together as brothers and sisters. My brother's keeper. Joy that we are together, enjoying all of God's goodness and grace and bounty for us. We should be a people who take responsibility of our brothers and our sisters. We, we should be a, a, a people who trust in God individually, yes, but corporately. Corporately, a church that is willing to do crazy things because we trust God. A church who confesses, who confesses to one another, who confesses, who confesses together our failings and our faults as a church. A people, a people who are marked not by picketing and protests and angry rants on social media, a, a people known for celebrating, a people known for joy. Y'all, that's who I want to be. That's what I want New City to be. That's the people of God. And that's who Jacob's family was becoming, the people of God. Let's pray. Father, what a beautiful picture of what we should be. Help us to be that people. Holy Spirit, fill our hearts with joy as we look not at what we don't have or what we don't like, but help us to see the, the, the grace of God that is right before us. Help us to be a people who celebrate you, a people who celebrate together your provision for us, even the provision that, that, that you have, have made to us and one another. Father, I pray that we would be a people who see the, the beauty of the gospel. No, no matter what the circumstances of life are, that, that, that see the beautiful gift of Jesus, we, above all people, have so much to celebrate. Help us. Help us to truly be not, not, a, not an institutional church, not an event, but to be the people of God. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen.